Kevin O'Brien here, the FF Engineer. I host the Fantasy Football Engineering Podcast, where I bring on a guest each week to discuss a wide range of topics, all to apply practical knowledge in order to design, research, build, and maintain your dynasty rosters for now and beyond. I borrow brilliance from each guest and share how I leverage many different areas of expertise to accomplish a common goal of competing all year round. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. So I found a rookie year comparison that really seemed to upset some people, um, or at least make them comment a lot when I posted it on Twitter. Debo Samuels in his rookie year in 2019 finished as a point-per-game wide receiver 33. Played 15 games, he had 95 opportunities, an 18% target share, 10.35 expected points per game, remembering that expected points isn't the expected points with the letter X from you know, uh, the NFL model, this is fantasy points. So it's not extreme fantasy points. It's just regular expected points model from uh, from Rotoviz. So essentially it's a volume metric telling you how much volume a player was getting in comparison to someone else. And then fantasy points over expected tells you how much more they were producing on that level of volume. So fantasy points over expected is an efficiency metric based on expected points per game. Um, his yards per team pass attempt was around 1.05 if I do it the per game way, which is the way I'm going to calculate it for my NFL database, so that's why I'm going to switch to a little bit more. T. Higgins, on the other hand, in 2020, um, this is his rookie year, he's currently, or was per week 15, the wide receiver 37 on the season, he's played 14 games so far, has 102 opportunities, or touches, has a 19% target share, 11.79 expected points per game, um, and that's it. I'm going to stop that right there. Now, does this season compare very well? Well, not ultimately. I mean, T. Higgins has played less games than Debo had for his entire rookie season, even if it's just one. Um, and he's getting more opportunities. He's had 102 opportunities versus Debo Samuel's 95. And T. Higgins is carving out, creating, however we want to, I want to say it these days, a 19% target share compared to Debo Samuel's 18% target share. Interestingly enough, and, and, and the expected points bears that out. Debo was getting 10.3 expected points per game. T. Higgins was getting 11.7. That's not a lot, but it's significant. Both have very good rookie seasons. That's the first thing that is important to note. Dynasty-wise, it's the first important note here that they both had really good rookie seasons. Good rookie seasons um, are even rarer than good players, so both values should rise and have risen um, proportionally. In fact, uh, T. Higgins right now, I believe, is getting drafted at the height of Debo Samuel's value. Um, Just kind of eyeballing this, so you'll have to go check out the DLF trade comparison ADP comparison chart for yourself if you want to see it more in depth. But it looks like Debo Samuel's height of ADP was around about 50th overall. And uh, T. Higgins' ADP right now is just under that. So around 48, 47 um, overall. So he's basically already getting drafted at the height of Debo Samuel's, which was during and after his rookie season. So both rows into the fourth or fifth round after the rookie season. 
um, even though T. Higgins hasn't finished yet. And that's appropriate, right? Good breaker seasons are the best indicator that the player is going to continue to be good, especially when it's backed up by a solid production profile. I talked about T. Higgins ad nauseum um, this last season in the profile process, so go check out any of that or anyone else's analysis, and you'll see that while we may have had concerns, but for his level of production overall, he graded out very, very well. And I spent some time indicating that I wanted to highlight T. Higgins in my uh, rookie drafts because he was a player that had done nothing bad but wasn't standing out exponentially across metrics like someone like Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, or C.D. Lamb was. But the fact is they're not, I, I call it quantitative um, or quantitative or whatever word I throw out there to mean the better they do, the better you are. It's more of a threshold stat. And since T. Higgins was crossing those thresholds, especially when you take into account a 20% dominator instead of a 30% dominator, which again I've talked about a lot before, and I didn't want to ignore him just because he had had as the heights of Jefferson and the heights of C.D. Lamb and Jalen Rager because he would still cross the threshold. He had decent draft capital. Um, he, he looked the part, and he went to a very decent team. And so I made a point to go out of my way to get some T. Higgins in rookie drafts this season because I didn't want to get A.J. Brown. Because A.J. Brown was another one of those players that looked great, but he was surrounded by players who had better ceilings on some of their production metrics. And so sometimes he would fade under those other players, and I wouldn't make a point to go out and get him over some of my deeper prospects. And so that's something that I built into my process, and it's worked out very well for T. Higgins this far into his season. That wasn't a victory lap. I'm just trying to explain the process I go by to, to establish that they have good production to back them up. Because we also know players like Kelvin Benjamin had great rookie seasons and I didn't so much go all in. And that's because he didn't cross a threshold. So it's worth bringing it up. It's also worth noting that both of these players in their rookie seasons were efficient, as I mentioned. According to fantasy points over expected, T. Higgins currently has a 0.69 fantasy points over expected, meaning that he's slightly positive. He's producing slightly more than he's being given. But again, it is actually almost just as important and actually more sticky and predictive that he's soaking up more of the volume. The reason I've been started to look at efficiency through rookie seasons especially is because of Blair Andrews' work on Rotoviz, who he pointed out that even on low touch or opportunity seasons, we can see that efficient players are more likely to garner more opportunity in the next year, in their sophomore season, um, than players who aren't. Now, that isn't a sticky or predictive stat because efficiency never is, but essentially what he found through a very interesting process or a process of thought was dividing players into two separate buckets, ones that were efficient in fantasy points over expected and ones who weren't, and he found that the ones that were efficient were simply a higher hit rate group. So you can't use the number itself to say that he's exponentially more likely to get more targets, but it does make him slightly more likely to get elevated volume. Now, both of these players were significantly above the low threshold for touches in their rookie seasons. We're more trying to look for players that are lower down the list that got lost, less opportunity and therefore showed up for us less in fantasy in their rookie seasons. And therefore, we might need something else to tip our hats towards a player potentially getting more volume and being more fantasy relevant. But it's still something I look for for players that are having good rookie seasons. And it is interesting to me that Debo Samuel outperformed his expected points per game to the point that their points per game are actually relatively similar. In 2019, Debo Samuel... Um, had a points per game, actual fantasy points, according to PPR points, of 12.7 points per game, whereas T. Higgins so far 
in 2020 is 12.48. Now let's just call them even. Essentially, T. Higgins has garnered more opportunity, which is stickier and better and the thing we want to start our analysis with. But Debo Samuel's earned significant opportunity in his rookie season and was much more efficient on that opportunity to bring him up to a similar production level for our fantasy teams. So I'm not saying one is more or less impressive than the other, but that's what they did in their rookie seasons. And I think it's important to understand where their points came from and how they were made. It's also worth noting that T. Higgins got more opportunity on a team that was offering more opportunity to carve out. Now, again, I've talked a lot and written a lot about where opportunity comes from on a team in terms of targets, whether they're vacated or they're vacation targets or not. But it is important to note that Cincinnati was simply throwing at a higher rate than um, San Francisco was in 2019. The same is true in 2020, by the way. Moving into 2020, Debo Samuel's season's been marred by injury, essentially. He's only played seven games this season, if memory serves. Yeah, in 2020, he's played seven games. He's only touched the ball 52 times, which is enough to cross that Blair Andrews threshold, for example. And once again, he's been efficient. He's got one fantasy points over expected um, this year for the touches that he's had. He's producing about 10.5, so relatively consistent in terms of volume, expected points per game. And he's had about an 18% target share once adjusted for the games that he's been in, obviously. So he's developed a fairly similar role. He's been efficient again. His sophomore season is actually good. While he's been on the field, he's just suffered from injuries. Now, someone else has pointed out to me while making this comparison that Debo Samuels had injuries in college, apparently. My memory fails me there. I can't remember that, but I'm sure it's true. And so the, the term injury prone has been thrown around. That's the first one you can throw out from my perspective. I can't reliably predict or expect or reasonably uh, offer advice that suggests a player is going to be more or less injured throughout their career. Frank, frankly, I don't think it's true. And so I just discount it. While on the field, if we put an if healthy clause on everyone, because everyone in the NFL can be injured, Debo Samuel should be expected to be good. Now, the comparison falls down somewhat, and this is what seemed to trigger people a little bit when we compare them to directly. Not, here's two good rookie seasons, and Debo Samuels is suffering from uh, recency bias, which is, you know, a, a potential value opportunity for us in Dynasty Leagues, which is the second most important Dynasty takeaway. One, they both had good rookie seasons. Two, Debo Samuels suffering from a lower value because of recency bias, because of injuries on a lower volume team in 2020. That means he's a, a significant player worth investing in trade offers at least to see if his values fall on far enough that you can get him for a first round pick or less or some trade that amalgamates up to that level of value. I'd be very interested in adding them to my team. T. Higgins is now beyond that. And so while I would definitely say I'm really interested in getting more T. Higgins because he's had a great rookie season, um, Debo Samuels is the one that's offering value. And unfortunately, that's the way wide receiver position works. You only really get gain points or you only really increase your chances of winning if you win on that deal. Your investment to get the player um, is less than the points he actually produces. Right now, T. Higgins, if he does what we think he's going to do, which is be a great player in the NFL, you're basically getting what you're paying for, and that's what you want to do at running back at best. At wide receiver, we're looking for cheaper points, um, and youth is a subject for another another day, perhaps, or another subject for another day. 
and let's just stick with these two young players so we don't have to worry about that so much. All right. So the other player this brings to mind when we're talking about Debo Samuel and T. Higgins is obviously Brandon Ayuk. He's on San Francisco, a team I am not overly enthralled by, and we should put the Cincinnati is a better team for T. Higgins in his corner in terms of if you were going one-to-one. For me, T. Higgins is a clearly the better player. If I'm offered Debo Samuels for T. Higgins, I'm keeping T. Higgins. I'm not disagreeing with that fact, which some people seem to think I was doing, and one of the other triggering aspects to this comparison. But the other one that I think is slightly exaggerated in our feels um, is that when we look at Brandon Nuke, again, having a great rookie season in 2020, that seems to be though that is, as I mentioned, a bit of a theme of the 2020 class of a lot of great rookie seasons coming out. But Brandon Ayuk, I think, feels like he fits the mold of a T. Higgins. Or, to put it better and use someone else from the same teams, they look like the A.J. Green in this scenario. The dominant alpha, the alpha player. That's the term that was thrown at me a lot when I was making this comparison. T. Higgins is more of an alpha. One, in terms of people, by the way, Alpha is an, a mis... They don't use that term for people. There are no alpha people. I know what we mean when we say that, and that exists, but there are no alphas and betas, and that's that's zoological nonsense when you're talking about the animal kingdom. But I get what you mean in terms of an alpha receiver. I just think maybe they don't know what that means because it's not true. So let's, let's, let me go into that for a second, because that might seem slightly crazy. So Brandon Ayuk, again, is higher valued than Debo Samuels, and honestly, can't discredit it at this point. I would say that November ADP quite hasn't updated on DLS, so I can't see the direct comparison. But right now, he is being drafted above, according to that DLF um, compa- ADP comparison tool, above Debo Samuels by about 10 spots, Um if I remember right, sorry, I'm not going to go and look it up right now, but it's like Debo Samuels is in the 50s and uh, and, uh, and uh, Brandon Ayuk is about 10 spots above that, 53 to 43 or something of, like, of that nature. And I expect that to be true at least when the ADP updates for the full season at least and we get back to thinking about startup drafts. So that seems fair to me, a player who was injured on a team uh, versus a player who was not injured on a team and just had a great rookie season out the blue but why are you over Samuels outside of that recency bias? Well, right now, Brandon Ayuk is the sixth highest drafted wide receiver if you just look at the rookie ranks. So again, I want to put the last tricks on here. Make, make sure you value check this stuff because I'm pretty sure that's the way it is. But DLS ADP seems to be lagging a little bit um, compared to the comparison tool, compared to rookie ADP when I go look at the two apps independently. But my feeling on the matter is that Ayuk is definitely going to be higher valued than Debo Samuel. So, anyway, said that twice now, but still. Um, a first thing to wonder is, does this mean San Francisco is going to be an incredibly dominant team next year? If we've got Brandon Ayuk having a good rookie season, Debo Samuels, I'm saying, is discounted because of recency bias, but still had a very good sophomore season while he was on the field. Are we going to have two great wide receivers for it? team does that balance out to the t higgins having a better situation with presumably joe burrow coming back honestly i don't know about that i still have conversations and do research about how much we should expect from a team if we think we have two good wide receivers we know about four to five teams produce 
two top 24 wide receivers every season, and it is an underrated part of Dynasty that you can get that conglomeration of talent in the single depth chart, even at the wide receiver position, and exploit that for drafting DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett this year, for example, as Jacob Rickrode spoke about when he came on the podcast, or AJ Brown and Corey Davis is another example this year. So, I don't think that's San Francisco, though. San Francisco is the biggest negative on either of the profiles. I do not trust the management of this team, the organizer. Like, it's not in that category for me. And I don't know if that upsets anyone who knows more about football and coaches than I do, because I basically nothing them after finding out they have relatively little correlation to how well players do. I, I mostly ignore them. But I don't understand a lot of their draft moves. I don't understand a lot of their play. And they always seem to underperform, underperform the hype of that coaching staff and the decisions don't make when I can make sense when I compare it to good decisions that have been made by other teams. And so I'm really doubtful that San Francisco is a good source of fantasy points. Now, outside of that, however, taking team out of it, because I should, because I don't know near enough about the magic that goes into creating the mix of player talents that creates a dominant team. I do think that the two best wide receivers are both perhaps a little underrated right now. One, because we knew less about Brandon Ayuk coming into the season, and he's kind of broken out later, but not as hard as Justin Jefferson, and not as hard uh, as, who's, who's the other guy? T. Higgins, I was just talking about. So he might be slightly undervalued compared to them, even though he's also having a very dominant, even more dominant than Debo Samuel's rookie season year in 2020. So, Given that, I want to know more about these two players, how they compare, how they make work together on the team. Now, again, to be very clear, I would have Ayuk under Debo um, in terms of players I want on my team. And I think that's going to be the opposite compared to consensus and compared to DLF ADP and DLF ranks, which is why I think it's an interesting observation that his rookie season was just as positive as T. Higgins right now, who Debo Samuels used to be valued that much. Now, when I compare the two everyone seems to see a lower ceiling for Debo Samuels even though as a group we were drafting Debo Samuels currently where we're drafting T Higgins so apparently the group no longer sees a ceiling and I'm wondering why all right that's that's the question of the podcast honestly when I really think about it, the difference between Ayuk and Samuels seems to be that when we look at Ayuk again we see AJ Green and when we look at Samuels we see Tyler Boyd again to use players from the same two teams so I don't make this too complicated Unfortunately, I think this is a, a fixture of typecasting, which isn't necessarily wrong. We have to look for similarities. I love the archetype method of looking for players as well. I do it a lot through numbers and dynasty profiling or rookie profiling. Looking for who they produce like in college is a significant part of my process, so I'm not against it. I just think it's slightly less secure when we start turning it from archetype analysis to typecasting analysis. And I think typecasting only gets us so far. Essentially, the notes in my back of my head that understands what people are saying that Ayuk is better than Samuels, and I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's probably true. The little demon inside me that still believes a lot of stuff that feels right but doesn't work out to be true is that Ayuk is six foot tall and Samuels is only, quote unquote, five foot seven or Five foot eleven. That's better. Yeah, he's only five foot eleven. That's what it is. It's his height difference. We think Ayuk is a big dominant alpha player. Alpha don't exist anyway. And um, the thing is, Ayuk might be a couple of inches taller, but Samuels is ten pounds heavier. Ayuk is athletic for sure, and again has had a great rookie season. This is not an anti-Brandon Ayuk take. I, I spent 
a lot of time doing these rookie profiles. And my feeling on Ayuk, no matter how deeply I dug, was I did not know. I was going to let his rookie season tell me more. This isn't a Kelvin Benjamin profile. It's a really good year and a really bad year and an acceptance that I just don't have enough information to do a great rookie profile on which is which, which kind of player he might most likely compare to in the NFL. And having seen his rookie season, we're leaning good. Let's put him on the good profile list because his rookie season kind of backs up that one good year he had. However, when you adjust his athleticism in some way to his size, thinking of him as a bigger, taller, alpha-type player with extreme fantasy points, there's a lot of alpha nature to fantasy analysis, I've noticed. Anyway, um, his speed score, for example, is 98.6 once adjusted for his height. Debo Samuels wants to adjust his 40 time from the combine for his athleticism and height, you get 103.3. So he actually has a higher speed score. His athleticism is greater when adjusted for his size. AJ Greens, by the way, who's taller than both of them significantly, <laughs> has a speed score of 107.1. Now, there are many different ways of calculating speed score, and you notice I don't always try and dig into how numbers are made on the podcast or actually quoting numbers at you directly because you don't care or shouldn't care and mostly we get lost when we just hear a bunch of numbers being thrown at us but essentially AJ Green was a lot more athletic for his size and was significantly bigger than both <laughs> than Samuel or Ayuk like he, they don't really compare that way in any fair measure um, uh, and I'm using one way of adjusting speed for height here and you could use many and find different results but I think that should at least if it's always done logically bear out to be true uh, IG Green's size was just greater considering his athleticism, which much was much more in the Debo Samuels reins of speed than Ayuk, and he was bigger than both. So neither of them really looked like AJ Green. But here's the thing, especially having done a lot of rookie profiles and a lot of work on rookie profiles, I know not to be too worried about that for Brandon Ayuk. Ah, you thought that was a pro Samuels take. No, this is a pro Ayuk take. I'm not that concerned that Samuels doesn't profile as athletic for his size compared to A.J. Green or the A.J. Greens of the world. Why? Because none of these players look particularly similar, especially when you shrink the group down to just the really good ones. So Stefan Diggs, T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Brown, Chris Godwin also exist, not to mention the ghost of Odo Beckham from 2014. If we're talking about really good rookie profiles or rookie seasons, Odo Beckham should come into this. Now, all of these guys... Um, as different shapes and size, but they all come to mind because they've either been described as too short or volume-type players, which is the other term that got thrown at me a lot when I talked about Samuel, as in a Tyler Boyd-type player, right? The thing is, some of them are over six foot, some of them are under six foot, some are thicker, some are slower, but most in a, operate in and around an dot of 10. They play in a similar area of the field. And this is something I've been having interesting conversations with, hopefully that you've heard me on past podcasts say, with Zach Reed, for example, from the Dynasty Dummies, talking about the shift in where targets are going on a football field does seem to have moved close to the line of scrimmage. But you don't even have to think, because I have some questions about whether that's a true trend or just something we see based on where the talent happens to be at any given time. But you can start to... Expect and and accept at least that targets go to different places on the field based on the team, and then the players with the most talent who can play the roles better are the ones who get most opportunity in those areas. And so A dot could be slightly limited by team scheme. And I mention that because Brandon Ayuk has an A dot right now of eight point six, 
And Debo Samuel, through two seasons, has an, has an ADAR under seven. So neither of them have a role that compares to an AJ Green or a T. Higgins, for that matter, who was put in that alpha comparison when I compared the two seasons directly on Twitter. So neither compare well to AJ Green. If you're going to say that Debo Samuels looks like more of a small volume type player, then you have to say it Brandon Ayuk as well. And I don't think that's what we're doing. I think we're typecasting. I think we're seeing a team who is the alpha and who is the omega. And again, even in zoological terms and human beings, that doesn't exist. Doesn't. I get it. You're big and strong, but put us in a chess tournament and I'm the alpha. And I'm not very good at chess. But if all you know is physical activity and I know chess a little bit, I'm the alpha in a chess tournament. We move ourselves to a football field and believe me, you're the alpha buddy. But alpha is actually a fictional concept when you talk about human beings because we have more contextual circumstances. It's literally not true. But anyway, I, I went on a vent there, but it's a thing. It's a thing. Anyway, where was I? All of these players look different. Some are smaller, some are bigger, some are thicker. All of them are relatively athletic for their size, and Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk actually fit that description. Or, but however, Samuels and Ayuk operate in a very different area of the field than most of the players you would want to describe as quote-unquote alpha or AJ Green or, you know, the dominant player on an offense. It looks more like a conglomeration of lower ADOT players like San Francisco has been since this coaching staff took over. I think we are looking at a team situation, adjusting our expectation for what a player is going to do. Now, Brandon Ayuk does have a higher ADOT than Debo Samuels, but again, they're both under nine yards past the line of scrimmage, so it doesn't really fit their alpha X, what, extreme big guy mold, even if one guy's 10 pounds heavy and one guy's literally one inch. I think there's a difference of one inch, didn't I say, between the two players, and the other guy's much thicker. And yet, Brandon Ayuk is meant to be, you know, the big guy, because we really only like to consider the things that fit our idea of what a player is. So what am I saying here? I'm not comparing these players directly to each other. That's exactly what I'm saying. Ayuk isn't AJ Brown. Samuels isn't Tyler Boyd. None of them are Chris Godwin. None of them are definitely T.Y. Hilton or Stefan Diggs or Antonio Brown. And when you bring into the conversation 2020 and think about the roles and the ADOT players have this year, something we do know about ADOT is, is a player-centric stat in that it's not heavily QB or, or, QB or success oriented. However... And that means Debo Samuels has a consistent A dot year after year after year. It moves within a range, but it seems to be about the player, not the quarterback that's throwing to him, in other words. However, we also know from this season, this very season, that Robbie Anderson moving to Carolina has dropped his A dot significantly. He's playing in that 10 A dot range when he's in Carolina because he's a very talented player who can operate more than one level of the field, which isn't true of every talented player for that matter. Juju Smith-Schuster seems to have a multifaceted aspect to his game to the point that he's played outside, he's played inside, he's played at a 10 ADOT, he's played at 14 ADOT. This year, he's been playing at an ADOT below 5 for the majority. That's very rare for a player, and it's actually based on my new way I'm trying to think about the specifics of ADOT or role for a player seems to say a lot about Judy Smith-Schuster's ability to play above average at multiple levels on the field. I think that's fairly unusual. I think that's a significant tick in the Judy Smith-Schuster is elite box, but that's kind of 
neither here nor there for right now. What I'm pointing out, there are players, ADOTs do change when they move teams, but they have to have particular skills in roles in order to obtain them, is what I'm pointing out, or what I'm suggesting. Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk are both playing a sub-typical ADOT, frankly. Now, we haven't seen nearly enough of Brandon Ayuk to say that that 8.6 ADOT is actually his natural range, right? It could rise as we see a larger sample of his games play out through 2021, health, um, you know, assumed. Um, and he could become a more like a, a 10 ADOT player. It's fairly unlikely that Samuels is going to start operating further down the field without a drastic situation change like we've seen for Robbie Anderson or like we've seen for Juju Smith-Schuster with two of the wide receivers coming onto the team that can play in areas of the field where he more typically operated on. And Stefan Diggs as well, for, for that matter, this year, his ADOT is actually dropped, not expanded as many predicted because it's not QB dependent. It's player dependent and their role that they earned for that team. Um, and Adam Thielens has remained remarkably consistent without the loss of Stefan Diggs, because those are the roles that they operate in those teams. Now, as an in, again, like everything in reality, has an intricate mix of what the team needs and where they can fill other spots and what that player is particularly able to do at different areas on the field where they want him, and sometimes bad and good decisions are going to be involved in that as well. What I'm essentially saying is San Francisco has a lower attempts to create lower ADOTs for its significantly high-volume players, at least, for fantasy purposes or where players have the ability to create that volume. So I don't think Debo Samuel's ADOT is likely to rise, and I don't think don't think Brandon Ayuk's is as well, although he would be the one who's more likely to operate a little bit further down the field, having seen this small sample of them on the same field together and the small sample of Brandon Ayuk playing at all in the NFL. Either way, through size or weight or speed score, all of those things are feels analysis. Brandon Ayuk feels like the alpha. Well, no, he's not playing like an alpha. No matter which alpha you want to compare him to, he has a lower dot, smaller size, and lower athleticism for that size compared to those other players. Debo Samuels is the one that actually compares in a physical way more to those alpha quote-unquote level players. But he's operating in the area of the field that is actually slightly close to the line of scrimmage. But both are actually operating close to the line of scrimmage. So what am I doing here? Why, why are we here? Why have I done this? All right. To sum it up, we don't have to compare any of these players directly in terms of talent to see that we know less than we think we do about who these players are and who they are going to be for this team next year. The simple fact is that all of these players are very different. In reality, two NFL players, any two NFL players, look drastically alike, even at, drastically different, even at the same position, physically, as well as in terms of their style of play. That's why tape watchers have so much to say about each individual's game and how they do similar things in different ways. And they, there are multiple paths to victory or success and playing the same role or playing slightly different roles at the same position. It's not nearly that simple, and I think when we fall into those simple typecasting narratives, we tend to make mistakes, like Brandon Ayuk plays further down the field. Yeah, but he plays a lot closer to the line of scrimmage than most of the players you'd want to compare him to if we're talking about alpha and beta receivers, which isn't a thing. I can't stress how much that is not a thing. Anyway, so I don't disagree that Higgins feels better. I feel better about Higgins in terms of his 
his ceiling for fantasy points in 2021 and moving forward than Samuels or Ayuk for that matter. Both of and again, Samuels has struggled with injuries. Higgins has a better team situation with Joe Burrow on the return. And we don't know what the San Francisco quarterback situation has in its future or if that's even better for that matter. But I think it's worth considering that we don't know as much as we feel we do about the roles of these players in San Francisco and how they compare to other situations that we've seen play out. What we do know is that all are very good buyers because they've all shown significant signals at being good at some of the hardest times it is to show that, i.e. their rookie seasons. But Samuels is the one that seems to be discounted because we feel things rather than anything he's actually done on an NFL or a college football field. He's the lowest valued of all three, and I'm pretty sure that distance is going to continue to expand into the offseason. So in terms of buys right now, Samuels is by far the most interesting one to me because he's being adjusted for things that aren't really to do with anything, and he has the lowest value, and I don't have a great reason to expect a lower production from him than T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk moving forward for their careers right now. And so that's why I was comparing the two in terms of their rookie seasons. And I thought I'd lay it out for you. I hope some of it was interesting. I hope I didn't get lost in too many too many things there. And I don't know why I was talking about a chess tournament for a second. Like, I can't emphasize enough how bad I am at chess. I just know how the pieces move. And I enjoy getting my ass beat. As fantasy football has shown over and over again. So, don't know how we got onto all the places that we did. But I did hope it was somewhat interesting, entertaining, or, you know something uh, and i'll talk to you again next week uh, thanks for tuning in and checking out the dinosaur crossroads yeah chicken a crow chicken a crow crossing the road go clicking a poll twitter is gold player unfold so jake on the table and they on the place no pete enumerates the plays are analytical picking my nose don't really know if i like that Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So, Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.